The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. Hey guys, I invite your attention. I'm going to surprise you. I'm going to invite your attention to the book of John. Whoa. I know if you've been with us, you're, you're, you're already going to Mark 3. We're going to be in John 13 this morning, guys. John 13. Uh, this, for some of you, this seems like a dream come true. It's like you've gotten through a school year and it's the last day of school and you can't wait for your early release to bust out and go do what you want to do. Uh, we are finishing up our series within a series today over the d- 12 disciples. As, as we have muddled, we have uh, journeyed through the 12 disciples, three of them last week, short as they were. Today, the one that most of you have asked questions about, Judas, and we'll get there in just a second. As you're turning there, that is on page 900 of the Blue Bible, Blue Pew Bible, and we don't say this as often as we used to, but if you don't have a Bible at home, please feel free. Take that Blue Bible, page 900. The big numbers are the chapter numbers 13. The small numbers are the verse numbers, verse 1. And uh, just to let you know where we're going, uh, in the next month, we're going to take a break from Mark. And uh, you may or may not know this. Some of you have known about this for several years. Uh, but the Reformation, the 500th year of the Reformation, uh, is commenced on October 31st of this year. So what we're going to do in the month of October is look at what we call the five solas, by faith alone and Christ alone, for his grace alone, Uh, I'm missing one here, his scripture alone and for his glory alone, not in any particular order there. And uh, Aaron, our our very newly minted 21-year-old Aaron up front will be preaching the last of those, and I'll preach the first four, because we want you to know why we believe what we believe and why we have done certain things historically in the past and how that informs us today as our faith goes. All right, so it's football season. I think you know that, right? It's, it feels more like I don't know what it feels like outside. It's hot, okay? But if you remember, and many of you may remember this, the year 2000, you remember the Y2K bug and all that the world was going to end. And by the way, you're still here a day after the world did not end. God will come back in his time. Not uh, Anyway, we'll leave that alone. But one of the best football games was ever played happened in the year 2000 by the now defunct St. Louis Rams and the almost defunct Tennessee Titans. You remember this game, some of you, don't you? And you'll see the picture on the screen. You remember at the very last play of the game in Super Bowl 34 between the Rams and the Titans in the final seconds, they were driving down the field. They needed a touchdown to get it, and oh, they were just a little bit short. This is an actual picture. That is uh, Kevin Dyson caught a pass, and he plunged to the goal line. He was about 18 inches short of winning a Super Bowl. Wow. Wouldn't that just mess with your mind? Why didn't I just jump farther? And he was tackled just short of it. He was just tackled just that short. So close, yet so far away. And this is one of the worst pictures ever for this man. He, uh, in, in reflection, 17 years later, Dyson said, I look at that every day to go back and make a time machine so I could do it all over again and do it right. He missed it by about the same distance as a referee going like this. So close, yet so far away. You ever had anything happen like that in your life before? You've been so close 
to getting there, but yet you were so far away. Friends, that is a picture of Judas today. There was no greater example in the Bible of someone who was so close, yet so far away. Someone who is exhibit A of what it looks like to be religious, but to be lost. Judas was so close in reaching to God's kingdom, but he fell short of the goal. And Judas shows us that the greatest tragedy of all is that he was at the doorsteps of heaven, but he ended up in the very gates of hell. Wow. Judas sat under the greatest teacher ever, yet he died living a lie. Judas sat under one of the greatest disciples ever, but he never followed him. Judas saw the miracles. He heard the truth. He felt the power. He tasted the grace. He enjoyed the fellowship, and he joined the ministry, but yet he never gave his life to Jesus Christ. So close, but so far away. Jesus sinned against the fullest knowledge of the truth and descended in the hottest part of hell forever and ever and ever. One of God's own men. No one was ever so close to heaven and still so far away in hell. He was an imposter. He was a counterfeit believer. He was a false convert. And he learned how to play that game called church. He knew what to say, when to say it, how to act, what to do. He was so close, but yet so far away. He was a tear among wheat. He professed Christ, but he didn't possess Christ. He confessed Christ, but he never came to know Christ. He had external religion, but he had no internal reality. He had remorse, like when your mama said, don't eat those cookies, and she leaves the room, and you grab one, and she picks you out and says, oh, gotcha, and you start crying. That's what Judas had, but he had no repentance. He knew the facts about Jesus in his head, but he knew nothing about Jesus in his heart. One who was so close, yet so far away from the kingdom of God. You'll see the scripture up there, 2 Corinthians 13, 5. There's a reason that Judas is an example of how every one of us can be so close, yet so far away. What fools we must be not to do this. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, he said, examine yourselves to see, to be sure you are in the faith. Tough topic, isn't it? It really is. How easy it is to be self-deceived, to play church, and to do all these things, because we look and say, am I a Judas? Really? Could, could that happen to me? What, what do we learn from his life and all these things? Well, the big idea today is simply this. Is, is that Judas heard, most likely, all of Christ's sermons. Wouldn't that be amazing? If I had a time machine, take me back to AD 30. Let me hear Jesus' sermons. But to repent is more than feeling sorry for your sin. And this is a tough statement. I, I, I'll be honest. I hedge whether I wanted to put this in the big idea, but it is true. Judas was sorry for betraying Christ and went straight to hell. It ought to cause each one of us to stop and think, how easily we can be so close, yet so far away. But if you are a Christian here today, the great assurance is if you, if you know God, the Holy Spirit has given you assurance of your salvation. If you wrestle with your sin, if you fight your sin, and, and you wrestle with your doubt, then there may be reason that for that, because God is working in your heart. But if you have no remorse over your sin, if you have no repentance in your life, if you say, you know, Darren, Jesus and I have already done that. That was 20 years ago at a youth camp, and I'm living like a hellion now, but Jesus loves me, then this sermon might be for you. But Christian equally, as God has been working on my heart looking through these things, all who are convicted and converted are convinced by the Holy Spirit that they belong to Christ. Some of you struggle with doubt. Do, you, do I know Jesus? Do I really know Jesus? And the evidence of that is the Holy Spirit is a witness to your spirit, it says in Romans chapter 8. 
So I want to look at three truths about Judas today in our faith. Three truths. I want to look at an apostle, an apostle who became an apostate. I want to look at a treasurer who became a traitor and a salesman who died in sorrow. Because you see, there's a lot of speculation about Judas. There really, really is. You know, did Judas do this? Did Judas do that? Was Judas the first possession? Uh, was he the first uh, exorcist or something like that? You know, just some weird things out there on the Internet. But for some of us, I hope, as we study through these apostles, that you've been able to identify with some of them. For some of you, you it was John who was meek but strong. For others, it was Andrew who was the behind-the-scenes guy. For others, it was Philip who was the type A, God had to bust his world open kind of person. Others we know very little about. But the crazy thing is to me is that 11 of these disciples got it, but one did not. What is God up to? Why would God choose someone who was going to betray him? We'll get there. But I want you to know, we don't know much about his name. Judas Iscariot possibly refers to a place called Kirioth, but we really don't know. We don't know whether his name also comes from an old Latin term, which means dagger, like a knife. That's what his name means in Latin. We don't know. But one thing we do know, one thing we have is there's a lot of speculation about Judas. But I want to walk you through truths about Judas and apply this. Christian, this is as applicable to you as it is to a non-Christian among us today. Because we can always be so short, yet so far away, and think we scored that touchdown when in reality we were stopped just short of the goal line. With that in mind, would you join me in standing as we read John 13? We're going to start in verses, verse 1 and go to verse 6, and then we're going to jump down to uh, uh, verse 21 after that. John chapter 13, verses 1 to 6, and then following. It says, Now before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Praise God for that. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Jesus or Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, verse 4, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. And he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And skip down to verse 21. We're going to skip that episode. Verse 21, chapter 13. And after saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And the disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. Verse 23. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at the table close to Jesus. So Simon Peter mentioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple, lean, that's John, by the way, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? And Jesus answered, it is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I dipped it. So when he, Jesus, had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered him. That would be Judas. Jesus said to him, what are you going to do? Do quickly. Now, one at the table knew that why he said this. No one knew why he said this to him. Some thought because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast or that we should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he, Judas, immediately went out and it was night. Wow. 
Friends, it is so easy in our American Christianity, in any context really, to be so close, we think, to Christ, but yet so far away. May God give us great wisdom as we examine our hearts before his word today as we see the life of Judas. Will you pray with me this morning? Father, as we come to a very sobering episode of the life of Judas and a very sobering account, Lord, we are reminded today that we are in you when we repent and believe the gospel and how grateful we are. Nothing can ever separate us from your love. But, Father, for those who have deceived themselves or duped themselves into believing that they are Christians, Father, may, may your spirit open eyes this morning. Speak as you will speak, Lord, not through my words necessarily, but through your words as they are communicated. Father, help us not to, on that great day of judgment, to be 18 inches short of heaven, so to speak. Father, may we throw everything on you in Christ, completely finished as it is, the work of salvation. We thank you for that. We pray this all in Jesus' name and God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Thank you. As I said, this is a very interesting passage, guys. This is a, this is a sermon that you don't often want to preach, to be honest with you. Just trying to be, trying to show the cards for what they are. This is one that uh, I, I usually have my sermon pretty well written by Tuesday or Wednesday. I was in the Thursday afternoon just trying to slice and dice how to handle this text because there's so much to say. But what I want you to see first off is that the apostle who became an apostate first is an apostle who became an apostate. And I want to just give you an example. I remember at our uh, uh, former church that we served at, uh, was standing innocently at a door. And uh, it's always awkward if you're the pastor and, you know, you try and have these great theological discussions at the, at the door. It's, it's hard. It really is. And a lady I knew well came to me and vigorously shook my hand and said, said, Darren, you're wrong about Judas. Judas was not an apostle. He was not an apostle. And she was getting mad at me in front of the door with the line behind. If you've ever, uh, just in case you don't know this, when someone says something at the church door, it's difficult to think how to give a gentle answer to turn away wrath. And so, not sure to turn it away, but try to be gentle. And I said, Mrs. So-and-so, she's passed into heaven now. But I said, the Gospels tell us that Judas was an apostle. He was chosen by Christ to be his servant. And I understand what made her mad. I really do. I mean, Judas was one of the inner 12. How could someone who knew so much, saw so much, be so hostile and so mad at Jesus. I mean, isn't that a contradiction? That old DC Talk song said, uh, some of you old Jesus Freak fans said, you know, we profess Jesus with our lips, but when we walk out the door, we deny him by our lifestyle. The Gospels tell us that Judas was an apostle who became an apostate. An apostate is someone who claims faith but denies it. Judas denied the gospel. He denied the church. He denied the faith. If you want to hold your spot there in John, I want to take you to a passage of Hebrews there. Uh, Hebrews chapter 6. It's not going to be on the screen, so uh, you can listen or turn as you will. But Hebrews chapter 6. And we don't know who the author of Hebrews was, but it's so apropos to who Judas was and what he stood for. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 4. We're just going to read verses 4 to 6. And it says this. The author of Hebrews writes, And he says, for it is impossible in the case of those who have been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, Hebrews 6, 4, and have tasted the goodness of the word of God 
and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding up their own contempt. Wow, those are weighty words, aren't they? I think the first application we need to be reminded of is this morning, and Nelson will put this up, is there is a difference between position in the church and personal possession of Christ. There's a difference between personal possession of Christ and position in the church. We can never confuse the two things. Remember, Judas was there in Matthew 16 when, when Peter confessed Christ. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. He had tasted the miracles. Jesus had brought the powers to come. Judas had seen the lame walk. He had seen the blind to see. He had seen the lepers cleansed and the dead literally raised in front of his eyes. And Jesus empowered him as he was, Judas, to go and do similar things. And Judas apparently was able to do all those things even though Christ knew he would deny the faith. Why is all this important? It's important as a reminder to us, church, I think, that if all Christians understood this, we would not be so easily deceived and taken in spiritually by all the things that we are. Someone can have extraordinary gifts for the Word of God, extraordinary gifts. And I'm going to name him by name, Jim, Jim Baker. I think that was his name, uh, Tammy Faye Baker in the 80s. That predates some of us here. It almost predates me. But a guy who was a, a, a preacher, a great preacher, and was a fiery preacher and all these things, was sleeping around with women on the back behind and took money. Just because you have great gifts does not mean you are saved. There are great people who have lots of great gifts. One of the greatest lessons here is with a position in the church, whether you're a pastor, a teacher, a janitor, whether you mow the lawn, whether you change the trash, whether you move the chairs, whatever you do in the church, just because you have a position does not mean you're a Christian. Do you know one of the wisest things a seminary professor ever told me was, no matter where you go, share the gospel. And I remember someone raising their hands. They said, well, what if we're all among pastors? And he told us of several pastors who come to know Jesus Christ by a simple gospel invitation at meetings that they've attended. They were playing church and never knew Christ until that time. Just because someone gives us position in the church does not mean we have personal interest in Christ. Friends, you must repent yourself and trust in Christ. That's why on plane rides, as, as I've seen and you've seen several times, there are churches where in certain parts, if they wear a certain garb, a certain robe, that people on planes will go up and kiss the ring of a certain religious leader because they believe by kissing that ring they're getting closer to Christ. Religious garbs don't save you. Christ saves you. Position in the church means nothing. I can preach all day about the things of Christ, and I can know nothing of Christ. And that can happen in the pews as well. That leads us to our second thing, the apostle who became an apostate. Secondly, I think Judas here shows us there's a great difference between gifts and grace. Between gifts and grace. I don't fully understand this. I'm going to be honest with you. How, how apparently that, that, that he could cast out demons, Judas couldn't do all the things that he, Christ equipped the other apostles, but someone can have amazing gifts and, again, lack saving grace. And I, again, bring up pastors here. Guys, there are people who can whip you up in a frenzy. They can get you dancing in the aisles, having snakes bite you, and you're just like, praise the Lord, man, do all these things. But what you don't know is that person may or may not know Christ with what he brings out of the Bible, and he may overwhelm you with his preaching. He may just be able to preach, and you all just fall down like in a coma for five minutes. How could this be? I mean, if someone like that, even today, but if someone like Judas could spend day and night, even if we don't know how, we need to know it can be true. 
one of the most interesting things that happens on this last night of the disciples is you never see Judas saying, Lord, is it I? Lord, is it I? How could I do this? It's never too late for you to ask that question. Is it possible that I don't have saving grace? It might be a sign that you don't have it. Just because you are gifted does not mean you're, you're saved. Surely, someone may say, I'm a member of this church. I've been for a long time. Doesn't that make me a Christian? No more of a Christian than Judas was in the inner 12 with Jesus as he walked around. You can be an apostle and not be a believer. You need to examine yourself. It's kind of like this picture you'll see. This is an old picture, but it's like that story of those three young fathers. Uh, they don't do this anymore. How many of y'all remember waiting for your kids in a waiting room with other dads? Uh, a couple of y'all. So, uh, afraid. yes, thank you for being honest about your age. Appreciate it. But there's a story of three young fathers who were in the waiting room, and the first was told that his wife gave birth to twins, and he said, great, I play for the Minnesota Twins. That's amazing. That's awesome. Later, the nurse came out and told the second man, congratulations, you are father of triplets. He said, great, I work for the 3M company. That's awesome. The man next to him fainted, and when he woke up, they asked, what's wrong, man? He said, I work for 7-Up, and this just ain't right. So. <laughs> Sometimes we can mistake reality for the different of what kind it is, can't we? But there's no doubt here. That, I don't know if that man had said that's a proverbial pastoral story, I'm sure. But, but so much Judas thought, boy, I got this down. Boy, I'm one of Jesus' guys. Boy, I'm in the inner circle. I don't need to worry about anything. Even if I deny Jesus, he talked about love. He'll forgive me. Friends. God will hold all of those that are his to be his, but all those who are not his need to have a reality check because we may be an apostle, but be an apostate. We may miss reality for what it actually is. Let's go on to number two. Not only do you see in Judas's example here of an apostle who became an apostate, but you also see a treasurer who became a traitor. Let me put this out there just in case we have nothing against our treasure. Steve Center and Bonnie do amazing jobs. I just want to put that out there because I know that it, this is like, Pastor, you have a, no, we don't have a, there's nothing about that. But if you're a treasurer or you're sitting here and you work in finance, this wasn't my way to get at you publicly because I can't do it privately. That's not what's happening. You don't have to put anything into that. But the truth of this is this. We trust our, 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 our Bonnies and our Steves and our Dolores and others who help with our finances here because you don't just tr trust anyone with a checkbook, do you? Do, I mean, do you? Do you just hand out blank checks? When that, if you want to, come see us. We'd love to have your blank check, <laughs> please. But Judas was trustworthy. He was the guy they gave the money account numbers to. They had the, he had the routing number, the account number, the debit card, pin code, you name it, that was Judas. And you don't do that for just anyone. It may be a tough position, the treasurer is, but it's an honor position. And that was Judas's position. And he was the man, if you notice there, and, I, and we're just doing kind of vignettes this morning. We're not doing a verse by verse. But if you notice at the end of that, it says that he was the one, verse 28, 29. Some thought that because Judas had the money bag. They trusted him. They didn't give it to Matthew, the, the, the former tax collector. They gave it to Judas. He was quiet and unassuming. He didn't really say much, but if you go to John 12, there's a story, and I'll just point you to it. Uh, John 12 talks about the story of the woman who came and smashed or, or basically anointed Jesus in a perfume. And in John 12, Judas said to her, how dare you waste this money? 
That could have been given to the poor. He points the finger at the lady. He says, how dare you do that? How dare you do that? The Gospels tell us that he didn't care about the poor. He was a thief. He knew that money was lining his pockets. That was money that could have been spent on him, and it went to anoint Jesus, and and that's a picture of Jesus' death. It was a burial kind of perfume or, or, or ointment or lotion. And he starts with this honored position of treasure, and he accepts the foot washing of Jesus. If you go back to the first part, Jesus goes through chapter 13, and he washes every disciple's feet. Can you imagine what that would have been like? Simon Peter, the Simon Peter, comes to him and says, I can't believe you're going to wash my feet. And everyone else takes it. Judas knows what's coming, but Jesus does too. He's a treasure who became a traitor, but you can think he was, he, a man would be too ashamed to have his feet washed by Jesus, but not Judas. He can look down on Jesus as Jesus washing his feet, but at this point, G- Judas' whole life had been given over to Satan himself. You notice it does not say legion. You notice it doesn't say whatever other name of demons may be named in the Bible. It was Satan himself who took over Judas. Wow. No crisis in his life. It all began with a breach of the one commandment, don't steal, and a sin that he never brought to Jesus and asked forgiveness for, and unconfessed sin was becoming a traitor for him. Friends, I want to remind you today that, as Nelson puts this up, that a crisis may come in our spiritual lives when we collapse and show ourselves to be false, but it never comes suddenly. The Titanic, as big as that is, and I don't know, I think the Titanic had a display at Union Station not long ago if you went to that, but it was a slow fade as he gave himself away. It really was. Judas did not just overnight have this happen. It started early on, probably lining his pockets as he went, It started with David the same way. David got callous to raising his children. Remember, David was a terrible father, if I may say so. He didn't discipline his children. He let them run amok. It almost cost him his kingdom. His son Solomon was also a womanizer. And Solomon, it says, was taken away by the hearts of the foreign women who he married. He saw a woman he liked. He just shacked up with her and married her right away because that's just what he did. It was a slow fade. Christian, you may be truly saved here in Christ, and I believe many, most of us are in this room, but have you checked your heart? Is there an unconfessed sin in your life that you've not taken to the Lord? You say, I can handle it. No, you can't. Christ can. Second thing I want you to note here is that a professing Christian is greatest danger is not death, but apostasy. It's not death, but apostasy. We say, I'm only backsliding And no one may may ever be able to tell the difference between backsliding and apostasy. They look and feel the same. In a sense, it's not so bad to put your hand in the bag, you may say. I mean, after all, I have bills to pay. And whatever his motivation may have been, he sold out Jesus, Judas did. How much worse is that than blaspheming him? Look, Christian, the greatest danger is not death for you. It's apostasy, meaning that everything you say is just a, a ruse, a farce, a facade, a smokescreen, whatever you want to call it. And your life is completely opposite of everything that you say and believe in this room. Your greatest danger is Judas's greatest danger. It is that that slow leak of sin may be showing more in your life than you may truly know. It's like the as it was in, in the old great China walls. You've never been to the wall of China, just out of curiosity. We have some world travelers here. Uh, Brian, thank you. I forgot, uh, forgot about that. Um, you know, the Great Wall of China is a huge thing. You can see it from space, right? You can see how beautiful it is, how amazing it is. It cost money. It cost labor. And when it was finished, no one could get through the gates. Nobody. 
they built it to keep out the warring nations around them, and it wasn't by breaking it down or, or going around it. You know how they got in the gates? They bribed the guards, and that's how the kingdom fell. Years, decades, hundreds of years spent building a wall, but yet one bribe got them through a gate that led them in, almost like a Trojan horse in the old Greek mythology days. Deuteronomy 27, 25 says, Cursed be anyone who takes a bribe to shed innocent blood. Since Satan can't destroy the gospel, guys, he's going to do whatever he can to destroy its messengers. May I encourage you, church, to stay on guard, to be firm and immovable in the faith, and to keep near to your Savior, Jesus Christ. Don't let what seems to be a very innocent sin, there is no innocent sin, there is no, uh, that's just a little sin, take sin seriously. But praise God in Jesus Christ, we have a Savior who took it seriously, don't we? We have a Savior who said, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Not just rest physically, but rest eternally. That's what we know. Friend, there is no sin you are facing hidden away as it is in your life that you cannot take to Jesus. Perhaps not without consequence. But it is something that you are to take to Jesus. And Judas was a treasurer who became a traitor as a result of his sin. Lastly, and then we'll apply this some more. I want you to see that he was a salesman who died in sorrow. Told you we're going to flip around a lot of places here. Will you go to Matthew chapter 27, please? Matthew chapter 27. Uh, Just as an aside, Nathaniel and I have talked about this as he's interning. One of the hardest things to preach is a topical, biographical, historical sermon because there's so much. So thank you for your grace in uh, keeping through this series because there's so much to say. And there's just unfortunately not enough time to do it. Matthew chapter 27 and verse 3. Judas, as you remember the story, told the Jewish guards to go to the place where Jesus would pray. He said, look, I know where he goes. He goes there. He's like routine. He goes there all the time. And, and you bring the guards. And when I kiss him, when I peck him on the cheeks, that's the guy I want you to take. And after all that happened, Matthew chapter 27 and verse 3 comes to show you the salesman, the guy who got 30 pieces of silver who died in sorrow. And by the way, 30 pieces of silver is a historical note, just so you know, is the price that you'd pay for a slave according to Exodus. He took the payment of a slave to take on Jesus Christ. Matthew 27 and verse 3 says, Then, after all that happened, when Judas, Jesus' betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, he changed his mind and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders, saying, verse 4, I've sinned by betraying innocent blood. Then they said to him, the Jewish leaders, what is that to us? See to it yourself. And throwing down the pieces of silver in the temple, he departed and he went and he hanged himself. Wow. 30 pieces of silver, the price of a slave, the price of a common slave, and we're not advocating slavery. That's just how things were. But you notice there, and many of you have the old King James the old King James probably translates this correctly best here. It says that Judas repented. You may have the phrase that I read, he changed his mind. Why is that important? It's important because there's more than one word for repentance in the New Testament. There is a repentance that's real, that, man, I've really messed this up. And then there's the other, that when you're found out and you've made a mess, you just want to try and cover your shame and you do whatever you can to save face, and that's exactly what it was. Judas was not feeling sorry for his sin. He's feeling sorry that he was caught doing this thing. Just as Pharaoh, you guys have been studying this in Egypt, 
he, he repented a couple times. Oh, I'm so sorry. I've offended this God. Pharaoh just wanted to save those slaves so they wouldn't go away. And he brought himself to despair, Judas did, and he hung himself. And the alarming thing is, is what Hebrews said earlier, that Judas came to a place where he actually wasn't capable of repenting anymore. There was a place of no return. And you've met people like that, that, that and they've walked away in a fog, and, and it's one of those first things. I, I recall a story, and this has been even before I was married with Natalie, going to my first deathbed experience. And if you've ever been at the side of a family member who's dying or something, you know how just, uh, it's just a very, uh, very tough time serious time. And the question as a young pastor, going with an older pastor, my former pastor, is how do you speak to someone who's dying? What do you say? What can you say that's going to bring comfort? But I remember this particular man was not a Christian, and we spoke to him, and I still remember coming away. We shared the gospel with him. Sir, do you realize that you are within minutes, even seconds of dying? What is holding you back from coming to Jesus? And he told me this phrase, and I'll never forget it. He said, when that time comes, Darren, I will repent. The problem is, as far as we know, when that time came, we don't know if he repented. Scary as that is. Because, friends, your health may die in a second. You could die in a wreck going home. You could die in joy and laughter watching the Chiefs throttle the Rams today or or the Chargers, whatever they are these days. Look. Look. Judas was in the situation where he wasn't able to do what Peter did. You remember what Peter did? Peter denied Jesus three times, didn't he? And he went back to Jesus, and he repented, and he was forgiven. And Judas was past the point. He had got, as Romans 1 says, the point of no return. He was a salesman who died in sorrow. He could not repent anymore. And that's why I think the first point here, as we talk about the salesman who had no sorrow, is that everything you see in the Christian life And the life of the church is already there in the Bible. What I mean by that is, is as we've said, some people have supernatural gifts but totally reject Jesus. There are people who would have shaken me to the core if it were not for the fact the Bible tells me that these things will happen. There will be people like Judas who say, I'm a Christian and go and deny it. We all have friends like that. You all know someone in your family like that who at one point was walking with Christ but now wants nothing to do with Christ. Were they ever saved? Friends, Jesus said you'll know them by the fruit. Are they past the point of no return? That's between them and the Lord. But you pray with them. You, you share the gospel with them. You love them and you point them back because salvation is God's work. But as we know from other scriptures, John 6 in particular, that Judas himself did never come to know Jesus Christ. What a sad story, isn't it? What a sad, sad story. And everything you see in the Christian life and the life of the church is already there in the Bible. This should not surprise us, friends, because Judas is an example of it. The second thing, and you see it up there, is that every one of these apostles shows us that everything depends on whether I'm trusting Jesus or not. Not your ability, not your position, not your history of faithfulness. Judas said all the right things. Judas even did, for the most part, on the surface, all the right things. But it's always healthy for us to have a cold shower, and to sense again our need for Jesus Christ. Christian, you may be very well saved here today, and praise God for that. But would you remember, remember what the Lord has said. He says to examine yourself, whether you're trusting in Him is what came to be.
There was a story about a Brooklyn man who was once arrested, and this is him, for burglary and sentenced to several years in the state pen. His name was Otto Waldman. Uh, It's an old picture. And a few years into his sentence, the man escaped from prison and disappeared. Uh, This isn't a Shawshank Redemption type story, by the way. He actually was guilty of all his crimes. But police detectives spent hours searching and following leads, and they just finally threw in the towel. And many detectives had given up on the case, but one young detective trying to make a name for himself picked up the case. And bit by bit, he tracked every clue and kept searching for the escapee until one day, almost 15 years later, he finally found the escaped criminal. He was living in the same town as the detective. And going to the local gas station, the detective approached him from behind, laid his hand on his shoulder, and notified him that he was under arrest and shook the the escapee, said, well, what did I do, officer? He said, I know what you did years ago, Otto. I know how you broke out of prison, disappeared, and you got married, and then you came back here to live with your family like nothing ever happened. And Otto realized that his future was in prison. The man asked the officer if they could go to at least to his house so he could say goodbye to his family. And seeing the sorrow in his eyes, the officer agreed. And when they arrived at the house, the man said to his wife, have I been a good husband to you? Have I been a good father to our children? And the wife said, well, why, yes, you have, but why are you asking this? Who's this man with you? And at that point, the escaped man explained everything to his wife. He confessed it all, and he relayed the past events that he thought would stay hidden. He was a murderer and all these bad things. And he begged the detective how he had turned his life around and, 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 and sir, I, I, I've made good. I, I've done good. Yet the, de- the detective still handcuffed him from behind. And while the escaped criminal may have lived several years of the law-abiding citizen and demonstrating love and kindness for his family, the officer explained to him that he was still guilty for burglary, for murder, for things he had not finished sentence. He may have been good, but his good actions didn't outweigh his past actions. That is Judas right there. Lord, I'm so sorry I sold you out. Lord, what was I thinking? But friends, Judas had sold his soul, so to speak, to the devil so long ago that he was a salesman who had sorrow, but not godly sorrow that led to repentance. Let me just close with a few faith lessons. It's a very sobering account, but I just want to give you some things that I think are applicable to you as we look at the life of Judas. And I just want to close this just a few more minutes here as we close out. As you look at the life of Judas, I want you to see first off, it is not enough for you to believe the gospel with your head. It must be operational in your heart. Friend, let us be reminded today that Judas is a great reminder that we can grow up in a religious home and never be born again. We can have a Pastor Billy Graham as our papa. We can have Ruth Ann Graham, I believe, or Ruth Ann Lotz, I forget the connection, as wife or as mom. But there can be no great aspiration in us unless God gives us that faith. We are not saved by our mama's coattails in salvation. We are not saved by our pastor's preaching. We are not saved by the the faith of our Sunday school teacher. We are saved when we place our faith in Christ. Amen? It's possible even to have here in this church with your family, and they, they have great spiritual desires for you, but you never own it. You never repent and believe. And there must come a time that you place individually and personally your trust in Jesus Christ and repent and believe the gospel. You know, uh, it's like having a car. It's like sitting in a a garage, and uh, that doesn't make you a car, does it? Wouldn't that be great to become a transformer just by sitting in the garage for a few years? Or sitting in church does not make you a Christian. Many born in the church, but many have not been born again by the Spirit of God within the church. 
Second thing I want you to know is that every unsaved person, I use this term intentionally because the Bible does, every unsaved person, this won't win me friends, is a devil. Every person outside of Jesus Christ is either for Christ or against Christ. You are either on the side of Satan or on the side of Christ. All who have been born again by the Father are saved. They are on the Christian side, but everyone else is of the devil. You can look up John chapter 8. Jesus called the Jews in John eight forty four the children of the devil. No one is neutral. People know instinctively if Christianity is true, then they will lose control and not be able to do what they wish. Friends, there is no middle ground. There are no seekers. The Bible says there's none who seek after God. No, not one. You are either outside of Christ or you are in Christ. That's why you, we believe you cannot lose your salvation. You're not a Christian one day. Woo, Jesus, go. The Chiefs won. Yeah, God answered my prayers. Oh, man, but the Royals wrote a letter the other day. Mike Moustakis said we got to rally around this four-and-a-half game deficit. Oh, man, they're not going to make the playoffs. I must not be a Christian. My prayers aren't working. Being very facetious, but you see how easy this gets. Friend, if you are in Christ, you are God's child. You are his son or his daughter. But if you are not in Christ, you're not a Christian. May I tell you, you have more in common with Satan than you have with God himself. Because only in Christ can you be brought to him. And every non-Christian in church, out of church, religion or not, currently outside of Christ has the devil's initials on their heart. Friend, that's not a popular message, and I don't share that lightly. I don't share that pig-headedly, I pray. But I pray we take seriously that even in our own vernacular, and I'm guilty of this too, you know, when you describe someone who's not a Christian, you kind of want to give them a little bit of grace. You say, oh, he's just a good old boy. Or we said this before, if you're from the South, oh, bless their heart. God say, God love them, bless their heart. But the reality is scripturally, you are either in Christ or you are outside of Christ, and that's what we know. And, of course, Judas was outside of Christ. And we emailed this out. If you'd like a copy, we have a whole outside article about the, why we know Judas was not a Christian. Uh, first off, Judas was possessed by Satan. If you're a Christian, can I just debunk the horror films out there? If you're a Christian, you can never be possessed by a demon. How do you know that? Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Christ is supreme. He's above all. That's why in Halloween time when Christians start saying, man, I'm possessed by a demon. No, you used to have a lot of sugar from your candy. Calm down, boy. And that's what you need to do. Secondly, you can read about it in John 6. I told you we don't have time for everything. Judas was brought to a place by God's sovereign decree to be the fall guy. And I'll let you chase that rabbit. We don't have time. But I want you to know, outside of Christ, every unsaved person is a devil. But Darren, they're, they're a nice person. They may be nice, but in God's eyes, they need Christ. And friend, lest we forget, all of us who are saved were once there. And praise God, he's opened our eyes to see. Thirdly, I want you to see this. The prosperity gospel is basically for people who are bored with the real gospel. I fear for many people who are trying to be a Judas by sending this money here to this preacher, this money here to that preacher, or whatever it is. I fear for what goes out of Christian TV where people promote a health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. We beat this drum a lot at this church, and I know that. The prosperity gospel tells us everything we want to hear and nothing we need to hear the most. And that is that the prosperity gospel sends people to hell. And if you promote it, then we are eternally dangerous ground. All it produces is Judas converts who go straight to hell. Why? Because we are trusting, as Judas did, in the money that we can get back more than the Christ that saved us. And trust me, Christ is better than any Lamborghini you can ever try and will yourself to make in faith. Give me Jesus. Don't give me the world.
Contrast Joel Osteen's prosperity gospel with actual Christianity, which is coherent when translated in every culture, and you will see that the apostles would have been considered apostate. They would have been considered denying the faith because they denied it. They didn't have Lamborghinis. They didn't have colts, man. They have donkeys to ride on. They were walking in sandals. They must not be God's favored people. Friends, Judas thought that by having enough money, he would have enough of Jesus. But only Jesus can tell us how to spend our money. Finally, and we'll close with this, we must examine ourselves, but be very careful of morbid introspection. For every inward look, look ten times. Make that a hundred times at the sufficiency of your Savior. You can walk away from here, and, and you must not examine yourself to the point where you, you, you deny the love that Christ has for you. Friends, God loves you. Did you know that? And do you know that God loves you the same in Christ today as he's loved you the same when you came to know him however many years ago that was? His love for you has never changed. Your work for him can never change. No matter how much, if you're in Jesus, you've repented and believed, uh, you know, uh, God loves you the same. That should be freeing for you. God loves you the same in Jesus Christ as, as the Father loves the Son, and that is eternal. And you may be thinking, man, I wish I would have come for another Sunday. <laughs> when is this sermon going to be over? If that's your thought, perhaps you may need the one who needs this. You may need to be the one who inspects the life to see whether or not you're in Jesus. But as a Christian, let me say, you can sin even by inspecting the fruit of your life to a point where you're not allowing God's grace to cover your sin. Check yourself, Christian, but don't do it to a fault where you deny the grace of God that forgives you of all your sin. But if you're not a Christian here today, you may well remember the sermon on the very last day. I don't know, but don't say today. I don't have time to think about hell and judgment. I just got I got to cast that judgment on the chargers, man. They're coming down the road. Friends, the greatest truth that you need today if you're not a Christian is that you will have eternity to think about all the things you've heard today. Repent and believe the gospel. You are not saved by being a good person. You're not saved by the religious garb or, or, or things you do. You are saved by coming to Christ alone in salvation. Let's pray, and Christian, be encouraged. If you are in Christ, you have all that you ever need. Amen? Let's pray. Father, as we close out this series over the uh, 12 apostles, Father, it is very staggering, very arresting, very jolting to use those words. Father, even as I've studied this week, to think about how close Judas was, but he knew nothing about the saving grace at least not in his heart. He knew it in his head. He'd heard the sermons. Father, how dangerous it can be to think ourselves saved, but not. But Lord, how we thank you that there is no one who, if we be in Christ, that can snatch us out of your hand. Father, there's no uh, anything, whether it's height or death or, or, or death or demons or angels, Romans 8 says, that can separate us from your love. There is nothing, according to Jude 24 and 25, that can ever take us out of your grasp. Father, we thank you that if we are in you, we are in you. But, Father, may those who are on the fence, who may have been playing church, may you give grace for them to see the truth of the gospel. Father, we thank you that we have a gospel. It is Christ. He loved us so much that he gave us himself on that cross. Thank you, Lord. Father, protect us from the fiery wiles of the devil. Help us put on the full armor of God that we might please you today. Thank you that in Christ... We are well pleased. You are well pleased with us, not by anything we've done, but all that Christ did in his person and work. We praise, this, praise you today in Jesus' name. Amen.